Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So you look like you're feeling better today. Thank you. Um, yesterday was rough. Yeah. Yeah, but you're doing you're doing much better. We had to go to the clinic and I had to get a shot in my butt. It was yeah. a whole thing. It was a whole thing. Um, but I'm feeling much better now. Thank you. It's like a bacterial thing. Yeah, right? some sort of stomach bug. Yeah. That. Uh, you think it was food poisoning? I no, I don't think so. Okay. I've, I I well, I don't know. I have no way of knowing. But you're better now. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. And it happened sometime between our last days in Thailand and our first days back here. So hmm. anywhere between Bangkok and Seattle and Icon Park. So we have no idea how you no, got sick, but no. uh, the good thing is you're feeling better. And I've been laying in bed for days and you've been so you've been so sweet and helpful and thoughtful and just running to me anytime I yelled at you, which I think is just delightful. Although there were many times you re you yelled things and I had no idea what you were saying. And I, I was thinking for a period of time, maybe you were delirious because of a high fever. Because <laughs> of the crepe people. <laughs> I, I hear what I think is Kat yelling, the gray people are here. And I'm thinking, well, they've been shooting down UFOs over the Great Lakes. Of course the gray people are here. So I ran in to see the gray people, and I was horribly disappointed to find out that that's not what Kat said. It's the crepe people. The crepe. Crepe people. Crepe. Crepe. And, and so I understood that she was saying the crepe people, but still had... No idea what she was talking about. Yeah, it was a crepe truck. It was outside. Yeah, the, occasionally food trucks will park outside our apartment building, and the crepe people were here. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how my week's been going, everyone. <sighs> you know, a long time ago, you remember this? You did an episode on uh, Queen Victoria 
and her funeral and some of the strange things that were buried yes, with her. Yes, I loved her. Yeah, she she was buried with some strange things. Like when her husband, Prince Albert, died, she had a plaster cast made of his hand and she slept with it. Yeah. And then when she died, she had it put in her coffin with Isn't her. Isn't that sweet? She was buried with a picture of a personal attendant named John Brown. And she was buried with uh, a lot of her jewels and her lace wedding veil. Did you mention this, though? I, I came across this. This is what kind of got me thinking about it. Her funeral didn't really go very well. Um, it was a very cold day and the horses that were pulling the uh, gun carriage, which carried the queen's coffin, they were, they were freezing. And so they broke free and ran off, leaving the gun carriage and the queen in the dust. No. Yep, just sitting there in the middle of the road. Well, it's President's Day here in the United States, so I thought it might be interesting to take a look at some, uh, some weird things that former presidents had buried with them. Oh, this is fun. And also just some weird facts about, about presidents. John F. Kennedy, of course, he was assassinated in November of 1963. His funeral began on the 25th of November, and it went on for days. It was broadcast wall-to-wall on all fledgling television networks at the time. And because of his death being such a public event and openly broadcast, um, things that were buried in his, in his casket were pretty well documented. The mortician who was tasked with preparing JFK's body, his name was Joe Hagen, can you imagine the awesome responsibility given to you to try to... Anyway, he was privy to the things placed in JFK's coffin. Okay, can I just stop you and say I love your appropriate use of the word awesome. Thank you. I also love inappropriate use of the word awesome. I just, it's a good word. Now, JFK, of course, was Catholic. And so he was buried with rosary beads. That's not too surprising. He was also buried with three letters that were written to him by family members uh, post-mortem. Uh, they were kind of like, Aww. yeah. Uh, he was wearing a PT-109 tie clip. And the PT-109 was the small boat that he captained that sank when it was torpedoed by the Japanese in 1943. And he had uh, gold cufflinks on. Jackie, at the last moment, um, before they closed the coffin for good, slipped an item into the casket. It was a, a, his favorite piece of scrimshaw. Which is weird, really, when you when you think about it, you have so many pieces of scrimshaw that that there's one that you prefer above all the rest. What's scrimshaw? Scrimshaw is uh, etchings on uh, ivory or whalebone. It was JFK's favorite. It had the presidential seal etched on it, and it had been given to him for Christmas in uh, 1962 by Jackie. Uh, one year before he was assassinated. Aww. So she put that in his in his coffin, and uh, all of those things remain there to this day. Abraham Lincoln, sworn in for his second term on March 4th, 1865, just a few short weeks after the inauguration. A quick question. Where did he stay before his inauguration? Oh, he stayed at the Willard Hotel. Oh, the Willard Hotel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We, we got to stay there once. We were doing a live show in D.C. And, we did not belong. Uh, oh, my God. We, I'm surprised they let us in. But just a few short weeks after he was inaugurated, he was assassinated. 
That date was April 15th, 1865. And one of the significant things buried with Lincoln uh, is the suit of clothing that he was buried in. It was the same suit that he had on when he was sworn in for his second term. Uh And then there's this. This has confused historians for over a century and a half. A man named Captain Parker Snow. He was uh, involved in the search for the lost Franklin expedition in the Arctic. And he handed over to those in charge of burying Lincoln artifacts from the Franklin expedition that he discovered while searching for them. And for some strange reason, he insisted that they be buried with Lincoln. The items included a page from a prayer book and pieces of a uniform. It's not known why those in charge of burying Lincoln agreed to include those relics in his casket, but they did. Huh. Strange. Maybe there was some sort of relation that we don't know about. There must be some. There's something that we don't understand because that just seems really weird and random. A brief side note, after thieves had tried to steal Lincoln's body from the cemetery he was originally buried in in Springfield, Illinois, the Lincoln family, headed by his eldest son, Robert, exhumed the casket on September 26th, 1901. They were going to move it to his final entombment place where they would pour concrete over it and make sure nobody would steal his body again. Mm. But before they did, Robert had the lid of the coffin opened and about 200 people that were present at the unearthing got a quick glimpse of Lincoln's body. Officials were trying to determine, well, they wanted to make sure it was in fact Lincoln's okay. body. And they needed 200 people to make sure? <laughs> <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> They felt certain it was Lincoln's body because of the excellent condition of the remains. Oh, I thought you were going to say the height. That probably added to it as well. The body was then lowered into its new resting place along with all of the contents of the cedar coffin and buried in two tons of concrete. Uh, From Life magazine, an article published in 1963, quote, The dark brown Lincoln face was indeed covered with a distinct rubbing of white chalk which was applied by an undertaker in Philadelphia in 1865 on the trip west when the skin inexplicably turned black. The features were entirely recognizable. The small black bow tie, the wart on the cheek, and the coarse black hair were all unmistakable. After a few minutes, heads began nodding, yes, this was the president. Not exactly um, scientific uh, when you're saying, yeah, well, he's got the bow tie, so... It's got to be Lincoln. After Lincoln was assassinated, his vice president, the second vice president he had, Andrew Johnson, became president, of course. Uh, His term in the White House is thought by most historians as disastrous. But when he died, he wanted to show, I guess, how patriotic he was. So he he was wrapped in an American flag inside the coffin. Isn't that illegal? I don't know. Maybe it is now. I, I I know you can't fly the flag after dark unless it's illuminated. Maybe there's a little light inside his uh, casket to keep the flag illuminated. His head is not resting on a pillow. It's resting on a copy of the U.S. Constitution. That feels like overkill, buddy. Yeah, I think he's projecting. It's like people who have the profile picture with like an eagle driving a tank, eating a Big Mac, <laughs> you know, and there's the yeah. American flag sure. waving in the background. Yeah. And it's like, hey, yeah. you know, we... <laughs> we get it. Yeah. Now, this is pretty cool. Dwight Eisenhower, before he was president for two terms in the 50s, he was, of course, a United States general. And he thought of himself as a military man first and a politician second. In fact, 
He was the Allied commander in Europe during World War II. Eisenhower passed away in 1969, and he wanted to be buried not as the war hero that most people thought of him as, or a president, which in fact he was. He wanted to be buried as a common soldier. So he was buried not in his dress uniform, but in a field uniform. You know that famous Ike jacket? Yeah. And although he received literally walls of medals during his career, he insisted that he be buried with only three of them. The Army's Distinguished Service Medal, the Navy's Distinguished Service Medal, and the Legion of Merit. He also insisted that he did not want to be placed in the type of mahogany casket that is typical of presidential funerals. Instead, he insisted he be buried in a standard soldier's coffin. That's kind of classy. That was very important to him. Yeah. Wow. Very classy. Rutherford B. Hayes. Oh, one of my faves. Uh, He was the 19th president of the United States. Incredible facial hair. Oh, yes. 1877 through 1881, he was president. Former President Hayes was a big animal lover. And no, he didn't have his dead pets put in the coffin with him, but they're buried all around him. Former pets of the former president and first lady were dug up from their original graves and interred next to him. <laughs> interred. The, the graves of the animals uh, contain his greyhound, whose name was Grim, as well as his carriage horse, Old Ned. And nearest to his grave, and, and, and this guy was buried there before uh, Hayes died, his beloved horse, Old Whitey. Now, this was the actual horse that Hayes rode in the Civil War during his campaigns. Aww. He kept old Whitey after the war and ultimately was buried next to uh, to his horse. He loved animals. He was part of the thing in the middle that we did with the art by Milo. Oh, yes. That was a video version of Thing in the Middle that we uh, ran at a couple of our live shows last year. I'm going to dig around and see if I can find that and uh, maybe we uh, we can release it. Nice. Now, here's some weird, these aren't things that were buried with presidents, but they're weird facts about the president. Some of these I've heard of, some of them I'm shocked. Richard Nixon consulted with aides about having a journalist that he hated assassinated. No. Yeah. Yeah. Jack Anderson, Washington columnist Jack Anderson. He hated the guy, and so they discussed many options of how to deal with him, including knocking him off. They they thought about poisoning his medicine cabinet or putting huge amounts of LSD on his steering wheel. But fortunately, cooler heads prevailed, and uh, they didn't. That's unbelievable. Yeah, this is supposed to be America last time I woke up. I did an episode on Johnson on LBJ years ago, and um, I think I touched on this he would was he the guy with the that needed the special pants for his giant dong yeah okay yeah, yeah. and he ordered them from hager slacks That's right and, yeah oh and he talked about his taint yeah yeah <laughs> so i need about an extra inch or two there in the crotch because uh, otherwise it feels like i'm i'm riding a barbed wire fence right up my bunghole <laughs> anyway one of his odd habits was he would give interviews while he was taking a dump yeah i remember you saying that he was a weird one yeah presidential biographer doris kearns goodwin said uh, quote he just didn't want the conversation to stop if you were in the uh, bedroom holding back when he went to the bathroom he would just call you in and say come on in i haven't finished what i'm saying oh jeez <laughs> no no i can no it's fine. i can wait yeah that's 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 okay 
Two presidents that we know of admitted to seeing UFOs. Carter talked about it quite a bit. Sending love and best wishes to Jimmy Carter, by the way. Yeah. I heard this week sent to hospice care. So uh, love, peace, gentleness, all that. Yeah. And so did Reagan. Reagan said he saw a UFO in Bakersfield, California. Quote, I looked out the window and saw this white light. It was zigzagging around. Now, he was in a plane at the time. And he said, I told the pilot, let's follow it. (laughs) Grover Cleveland met his wife shortly after she was born. Um, she, she was the daughter of a family friend and he would act as her guardian when, uh, her father died when she was just 11 years old. When she began college, the two began a romantic relationship and they were wed when she was 21, becoming the youngest first lady in history. That I didn't know. No, that's not great. Benjamin Harrison was the president responsible for uh, wiring the White House for electricity. Right. But he was so terrified of it, he refused to actually touch any of the switches himself because he thought he'd be electrocuted. But he'd have other people turn yeah, the lights on for him. other people do it, yeah. <laughs> That's kind of like the court taster. Yes, Except exactly. Except it would be like the court taser. <laughs> ah. Franklin D. Roosevelt rode in Al Capone's car. Capone was in prison for evading taxes, and the Treasury Department impounded his car. Mm-hmm. But uh, they didn't want it to just sit in storage, so the government turned it into a high-security presidential vehicle. Oh, <laughs> and Franklin D. Roosevelt used it quite a bit in the really? days following the attack on Pearl Harbor. I feel like that kind of would be frowned upon today. Oh, I think so too, yeah. Anyway, happy President's Day, everyone. That's, uh, wow, that was interesting. I got my information from Vintage News, Best Life, Wikipedia, and CNN. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. 
I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. And now, that thing in the middle. Well, Kat found a list of euphemisms for menstrual cycles that they use around the world, and we thought, perfect for the thing in the middle. Portuguese. Ovendo na horta. It's raining on the farm. <laughs> French. Le petit clown qui saigne du nez. The little clown has a nosebleed. Danish. Communista illustruse. There are communists in the gazebo. <laughs> <laughs> Japanese. Perirai-ko. Arrival of Matthew Perry. What? <laughs> what? I, uh... Danish. The painters are in the stairway. And finally, French. The British Army landed in my pantry. Oh, I guess it's panty. Whoops. Uh, <laughs> all right. While listening to Box 411 at the end of uh, the episode, Lindsay comes on and chats with you all. And he mentions that his wife signed the contract for him to be a, the curator on Box of Oddities. Mm -hmm. He said he was going to sit and talk with you guys because I just do what she says to do. I have to mention... What my father would have said, he passed away in 2014. Whenever my dad would say that he just does whatever his wife told him to do, he would tell everyone, quote, I'm just a dildo. I go where I'm shoved. Oh. Oh. I can see how that would be inappropriate in some circumstances. Yeah, like church. Forever a freak, Casey. We got Valentine Loves from our friend from New Zealand, Cheza, on Instagram, as well as Crystal on Instagram. Just send in the Valentine Love. I love it. Both in New Zealand? No, just one in New Zealand. Oh, okay. Katie sent us an email. Hey, my lady and good sir. I think we should be referred to that way from now on. I love my lady. I've, she's referencing the cheese rolling competition oh, yes. again. I've dreamed about cheese rolling on Cooper's Hill since I was 12 or 13. Oh, wow. I'm an American in Texas, so this is not the easiest dream to pursue. As you can imagine my joy upon hearing it brought up in box 514 this week, it was a dream come true. I've been thinking about it a lot lately because it's something I'd like to witness before I turn 30. I will make this happen if it's the last cheese I chase. Jumbo pants for all. 
Katie. Katie Beth, actually. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. In July 1942, mass deportations of Jews from Warsaw Ghetto began. Irina Sendler was a social worker with the city's social welfare department, and she, like so many others, were horrified by what they were seeing happening in their country. As early as 1939, when the Germans invaded Warsaw, Irina was helping Jews by offering them food and shelter, but she wanted to do more. And so she worked and helped form an underground organization called the Council for the Aid to Jews, or Zagoda, in September 1942. Irina Sendler was born Irina Krzyzanowska in 1910 to a Polish family living in the suburbs of Warsaw. Her mother was Janina Karolina, and her father was Stanislaw Heinrich Krzyzanowska. Wow. Her father was a physician and a humanitarian who treated the very poor, including Jews, free of charge. And he ended up passing away in 1917 from typhus, which he contracted from his patients, which he served, even though many other doctors would not. The Jewish community, upon finding out about his death, offered financial help for his widow and their daughter, though it's unclear if that assistance was accepted. Irena studied law for two years and then Polish literature at the University of Warsaw. She had a tough time in school, though, because she opposed the ghetto benches system, uh, which was essentially a segregation system right. that existed in Polish institutions at the time. And she defaced the non-Jewish identification on her grade card. As a result of that public protest, she was suspended from the University of Warsaw for three years, and she was repeatedly refused employment from the Warsaw school system because of the negative recommendations from the school because she'd been so open about her descent. That is a brave person. Indeed. 
Now we're back in 1942 now. As I said, Irina was working as a social worker with the city's social welfare department, and she had a special permit to enter the ghetto. Now, this is the ghetto where they are rapidly deporting Jewish mm. people out to send to concentration camps and essentially to their death. So this special permit to enter the ghetto was how she and Zagoda were going to smuggle Jewish children out. Disguised as an infection control nurse, Sendler knocked on doors in the ghetto, asking parents and grandparents to give her their children so that they might have a chance at survival. Irina and the members of Zagoda led some children out through the underground corridors at the courthouse to a tram depot. The church that was located on the edge of the ghetto actually had two entrances. One was inside the ghetto and one was outside the ghetto. So with Zagoda's help, some children would enter the church as Jews and exit as Christians. Interesting. I wonder if she was met with uh, skepticism from the parents when she would knock on the door and say, give me your kids. I'm sure there was a lot of skepticism, but what are your alternatives? What are you? Yeah. It's the, uh, the best shot you have, yeah. really. That's just so tragic. Some children were transported out through underground passages like a sewer. Some children were hidden in luggage bags and carried out by a trolley. Some were sedated and transported in potato sacks, in furniture, hidden under stretchers and ambulances. Wow. When Irina managed to rescue the children, she provided them with false paperwork and placed them with substitute Polish families. Those families were supposed to pretend like, oh, this is my niece. She's visiting from wherever. Right. Or if she couldn't find a suitable family willing to take such an incredible risk, she would place them in Catholic institutions like orphanages, the sisters of the family of Mary being one of them, or in convents. And of course, this work is at incredible risk. Since October of 1941, giving any kind of assistance to Jews in German-occupied Poland was punishable by death, not just for the person who was providing the help, but their entire household. Wow. I didn't know that. And the Germans did learn of Irina's activities. In October of 1943, Irina was arrested by the Gestapo and taken to prison. She was tortured brutally, but refused to give up any information about Zagoda or about any of the children that she'd been able to transport. This is week after week of torture, and she's only giving them false information that had already been decided upon by the Zagoda. So eventually they decided we've gotten all that we're going to get out of you and you're being condemned to death. So her execution was planned. The day of her execution, Zagoda members were successful in bribing workers in the prison to let her escape. The day of? The day of. The day after her escape, Nazi officials set up posters and false news all over the city that she had been shot. Mm. Which must be a weird thing to see. <laughs> So she had to stay hidden, obviously, until the war was over. Though during the Warsaw Uprising, she did work as a nurse in a field hospital where a number of the Jews she had hidden were placed. When the war was over, Irina carried on her career as a social worker, and she started to try to connect the children she had saved with their parents. Unfortunately, as you can imagine, yeah. most of their parents had been killed during the Holocaust. But Poland's government at this time was actually persecuting members of Poland's wartime resistance, Zagoda, 
They were harassed, interrogated, imprisoned, and even executed. Sendler and others who rescued Jews during the war kept silent. And it continued this way for 60 years. Then in 1999, three teenage American girls discovered Irina's forgotten story. Liz, Megan, and Sabrina were working on a National History Day competition when they read that Irina had been arrested in 1943 by the Gestapo and tortured in this prison, which was notorious, and no one escaped. So what had happened to her after that? They dug deeper and found more about her incredible activities and then found she was still alive. What? They found her story so inspiring, they wrote and started to perform a play titled Life in a Jar about her and planned to travel to Poland to meet Irina. First, they tried to raise money through candy sales until philanthropists and Holocaust survivors from the Kansas City Jewish community stepped in and <laughs> covered the trip for yeah. it. Can you imagine? Yeah. They knew that Irina Sendler was a hero that needed to be recognized, and they got to go to Poland to tell her that themselves. Though, Irina rejected the word hero. I only did, she said, what any decent person would do. The heroes were the babies. Mm. They were the heroes of their mother's hearts. It was the parents and grandparents who gave up their children. They were the true heroes. She received numerous awards for her outstanding bravery and courage. In addition to the Yad Vashem's Righteous Among the Nations Award, the Jan Karski's Valor and Courage Award, Poland's Order of the White Eagle, and she's been a nominee for the Nobel Peace Prize. Irina has remarked on her actions during the war, stating, We who were rescuing children are not some kind of heroes. That term irritates me greatly. The opposite is true. I continue to have qualms that I did so little. I could have done more, and this will follow me until my death. It was the same like with uh, Schindler, right? Mm -hmm. As much as he did, it wasn't enough in his mind. And and that's the thing with so many people who care so much about mm -hmm. a particular mm -hmm. cause. They work and they work and they work and they feel like they can't do enough. But Irina kept careful records of all the children so that she could try to reunite them with their parents after the war. And she hid her records, which she wrote on tiny pieces of paper and hid them in jars in her friend's garden. Oh, I see. Which is where the term life in a jar comes from. Amazing. The records show that Irina was able to save nearly 2,500 children from certain death under the Nazis. Wow. Irina, you did enough. Hmm. Irina then spent the latter part of her life cared for in Warsaw by a woman called Elizabeth Fikowska. Elizabeth was one of the children, six months old at the time, Irina smuggled out of the city's ghetto. Oh, that is... I'm feeling things. Irina died May 12, 2008 in Warsaw at the age of 98. 98 years old. That's pretty good for somebody who was executed in the 40s. Right. That probably helped her in a strange way, you know, having the uh, Gestapo say, yeah, no, she's dead. Right. Because then she could just kind of move about. And yeah, she didn't have to fake her own death. They did it for her. They did it for her. Dummies. I got my information from the Jewish Foundation for the Righteous, National Endowment for the Humanities, Holocaust Memorial Day Trust, and of course, Wikipedia. Big thanks to Josh Elliott for helping me out with this one. Pew, pew. Thanks, Josh. Well, we should wrap this up because I think the crepe people are here. Oh, no. I'm looking out the window and 
Yeah, they're setting up the crepe truck. Are you feeling well enough for crepes? Maybe a savory, not a sweet. Not a sweet? Okay. All right. We'll look into it. Thank you so much for being part of this, hanging out with us. We look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash BoxOfOdditiesPodcast On Twitter at BoxOfOddities And Instagram at BoxOfOdditiesPodcast Copyright 2023 All rights reserved